0: Chapter Number Seventeen of Perils in the Transvaal and Zululand. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rowan Putigal. Perils in the Transvaal and Zululand by H. C. Adams. Chapter Seventeen i should like to ask you sir said margetts after a pause the rights about the presence of the large animals wild animals i mean in these parts in zuliland which is very nearly on the same parallel as this they were certainly to be found some of the horses were attacked by lions while we were actually in the country we had been informed that it was very much the same state of things in the Transvaal, but here we have been journeying several days, and we have not come upon the slightest trace of elephant or lion or giraffe or rhinoceros. We did hear a roaring one day, which we thought was that of a lion, but it turned out to be only an ostrich, so Matomo said, at all events. "'If you heard the roaring by day, Mr. Marget said Prescott, "'it was pretty sure to be that of an ostrich,' As a rule, the lion only roars by night. The two roars are certainly very much alike, though a practised hunter could distinguish between them easily enough. As for the great game of which you speak, it has certainly left the lower parts of the Transvaal. If a solitary specimen here and there is to be met with, the animal in question has been driven southward by some accident. It is a different thing in Zululand from what it is here. The natives do not hunt the lion or the rhinoceros, as the European settlers do, After they have once begun to people a land, the big game soon disappears. We have, however, still herds of antelopes of all kinds, springboks, khemsboks, elants, kudus, hartbeasts, and gnus. The lions prey upon all these, and where they are to be found in great numbers, he might be looked for also, but the white hunter is too much for him, I expect. There are old acquaintances of yours, I perceive, sir, suggested George, "'Have you ever had any perilous encounters with them? "'Well, sir, I have had one or two brushes, "'narrow escapes, they may be called. "'I had one in the Macworld some years ago. "'No one ever had a narrow, I might say.' "'Please let us hear it, sir,' said Reggie. "'If one can't see the lions themselves, as I would hope, "'at all events, one may hear about them.' "'Well, I'll tell you my adventure, sir, if you like it,' "'said Mr Prescott, who had evidently no disinclination "'to relate his personal experience.' i had gone to Volfish bay where some english traders had settled with whom i wished to establish business relations i had to pass through the hottentot country at the time there were a good many villages scattered about and there i could procure food and lodging there were few or no white men at the time in the country and the lions had never been disturbed in their occupation one evening i reached a kraal on the fish river and there I found all the hot and tots in a terrible state of alarm about a very big lion which was lurking somewhere in their neighbourhood and had taken to man-eating. I dare say, you may have heard that when a lion once does that, the only chance is to kill him at once. He gets so fond of human flesh that he won't eat any other, and he will lie and wait near one of the villagers for days and weeks together hiding himself in one place or another, and springing suddenly out on some unwary traveller. "'Isn't that fact disputed, Mr Prescott?' asked Hardy. "'I have met with old hunters who say that the man-eating lion is merely an old animal who has become too stiff in the joints to run his victims down, and that he only preys on men in the way you have described, because they can't run away from him in the way that an antelope or gnu would.' Yes, I have heard that, assented Mr Prescott, and think it may very possibly be true. Certainly such man-eating lions as I have seen killed were very wretched, mangy-looking creatures. That was attributed to the fact of their living on human flesh, but I don't know why that should cause such a result. Their appearance is certainly consistent with their being old, worn-out animals. Anyway... The Hottentots were in a state of great disquietude about this line. No less than five victims, two men and three children had been killed and carried off into the long jungle grass where he principally took up his abode within the last week or two. Several times the whole of the men had gone out to spear him, but though they had seen him at a distance, they could not get near enough to wound him with their shots or arrows. They implored me so earnestly to deliver them from this terrible pest that I agreed to remain for a day or two and see what could be done for them. Well, I stayed with them for a week and made several excursions but could see nothing of him. At last it was supposed that he had been killed or had left the neighbourhood. I had delayed there longer than I liked, so I took my leave one morning and having loaded both barrels of my gun, I set off on my way for Wolfish Bay, About a mile from the Hottentot village, there was a clear spring of water. As the day was very hot, I resolved to bathe my hands and feet and take a good draught before going further. I took off my coat and shoes and stockings and laid them at the foot of a large mudghiri that almost overhung the pool, but I retained my gun in my hand. I was just stooping to take a draught of water when I heard a stealthy movement in the long tambuki grass like that of a large animal creeping towards me and at the same moment my horse which i had fastened to the bough of a small tree broke away and rushed off at full speed i sprang up and swung myself round the only just in time to escape the spring of a large line which struck against a tree and was thrown by the shock on its side before it could regain its legs i had dropped my gun and skimmed up into the tree the lower limbs of which were only six feet or so from the ground I seated myself on a branch and took a good look at my assailant, who was now standing only a few feet below me, eyeing me with a hungry look, and every now and then giving vent to his impatience at being kept from his supper in short, angry roars. There could be no doubt that it was the man-eater, and that he had tracked me, waiting for his opportunity. It was a good job for me, that the muthiri was so close at hand and that lions cannot climb, or he would have made short work of me. But though I thanked heaven for my escape so far, I was by no means out of the scrape. If I had been able to take my gun up into the tree with me, I could have rid myself of him, but it was lying on the brink of the spring. Nor could I even recover my coat and shoes, which I had placed at the foot of the tree, a couple of yards below the branch. I could only reach them by hooking them up with a long stick, i did try this i cut a long wand with a crook at the end and let this down but the lion instantly seized my coat in its teeth and tore it away it was the same with my shoes and i was presently obliged to give up the attempt he instantly clutched anything which i attempted to move i was obliged to remain quite passive but my condition was getting very uncomfortable. My arms and feet were bare, and the leaves of the mudkiri afforded me a very insufficient shade from the blazing heat of the sun overhead. I also became very hungry as the evening came on. What food I had had with me was all in the bags attached to my saddle. My only chance, I felt, was that the lion might get tired of waiting for me and go off to seek food elsewhere but I was sensible that this was not worth much. It was clear that he wanted me, or he would have sprung on my horse when he first made his attack, and I knew how eager the craving of a man-eater is for human flesh. He would wait as long as nature would allow him to hold out in the hope of making his meal on me, and he would probably be able to last out much longer than I could presently he left the foot of the tree and went back to the spring where he took a long draught and then lay down in the grass under the shrubs keeping his red and angry eye still fixed on me and every now and then displaying his terrible teeth the whole afternoon passed thus i was in hopes that some of the hottentots might pass that way and repeatedly shouted at the top of my voice for help By and by it grew dark, and some of the smaller animals, which were accustomed to resort to the fountain to drink, made their appearance in the distance, and again I hoped that he would pursue and make his supper on one of them, but no, it was quite plain that he had made up his mind to have me and nothing else. At last it grew quite dark, only a few stars being visible in the sky, and the lion so far as I could make out was sound asleep. I attempted to creep stealthily down from the branch but the moment i moved he started up with a short roar and rushed up to the tree so quickly that i had only just time to regain my former position daybreak came at last I was worn out for want of sleep and ravenous with hunger. I foresaw that I should soon get weak and dizzy and drop from my perch into the jaws of my enemy. Suddenly it occurred to me that although my supply of tobacco was in my saddlebags, I might have a small quantity in my belt which would for the moment relieve my hunger. I felt accordingly and drew out, not alas, any tobacco but my matchbox. I usually carried this in my coat pocket, but by good luck I had thrust it into my belt at starting. The matches were of an unusually good kind, and when once ignited would burn for two or three minutes quite to the very end. The moment I saw them, I felt I had found a mode of deliverance if I could only accomplish it. I took my powder flask, which was fortunately quite full, and dropped some loose powder on the ground. I then took one of the matches and fastened it to the end of the long stick by which I had endeavoured to hook up my coat and shoes. Having firmly secured it, I lighted it and then dropped the flask on the heap of powder which I had scattered below. The lion, as before, rushed instantly up and put his head down to lay hold of the flask. Quick as lightning, I thrust the stick down and applied it to the powder. The flash exploded directly in the lion's face, setting his mane and whiskers on fire and severely scorching his mouth and nose. With a yell of terror and pain, he galloped off at the top of his speed. "'while I crawled down so exhausted that a long draught from the fountain "'and a feast of some wild meddlers which I fortunately found growing by the fountain "'only restored me so far as to enable me with a great effort to get back to the Hottentot village "'where I had to rest several days before I was fit to resume my journey.' "'What became of the lion?' asked Reggie. "'Nothing more was, I believe, ever heard of him.' I inquired about him on my way back, but the Hottentot said he had entirely disappeared from that neighbourhood. They fancied that the fright he had had prevented his returning to his old haunts. But my opinion is that his eyesight had been completely destroyed by the explosion, and that, being rendered unable to provide himself with food, he had soon died of hunger. "'Well, sir, that was a near touch, certainly,' said Hardy.' but I think what happened to my old comrade Robson may match it. He and I were in the same regiment in the war with the Shanties. He told me the story I remember one night on our march to Kumasi when the mosquitoes and the heat made it impossible to sleep. Robson had been servant to an officer who was very fond of field sports He and two or three others who had got a short leave were resolved to pass it in some genuine African hunting, as they called it, going quite beyond the usual resorts of white men. They started from Grahamstown and travelled northwards across what is now the Orange Free State and the Transvaal till they came within a short distance of the Limpopo. The country was wild enough even for them. They fell in with a number of savage tribes and here and there a Dutch settler, but there had been nothing to scare away the wild beasts. When they encamped for the night, Robson said they could hear the lions roaring about them to their heart's content. They were obliged at night to light two large fires, one on each side of the space enclosed by their wagons. The oxen were all placed in the middle so that they couldn't get out or the lions get in. Otherwise, they would certainly have been seized and devoured. Sometimes the lions were so bold that they were obliged to cut long stout poles and lash them to the spokes of the wheels to prevent the animals creeping in under the wagons. One or two always kept watch and the others slept with their loaded rifles by their sides. Robson said that if any of the oxen had contrived to slip out they would have been seized and devoured in no time. By the light of the moon he had sometimes seen three or four lions stalking about trying to find some way in. Till he got used to it their roaring was the most terrible sound to him that could be imagined, and he used to lie quaking with terror. It seemed to fill the whole air in all directions, he said. Eh, hey, remarked Prescott, "'that is because the lion, when he roars, puts his head close to the earth "'so that his voice rolls along the ground and echoes among the rocks. "'Go on with your story.' "'Well,' resumed Hardy, "'what the party wanted above all things was to fall in with a herd of elephants.' They had been told how they were about everywhere in the country in large herds, breaking their way through the thick forests like a fleet of men of war through the waves. They were a good deal disappointed that several weeks passed without their meeting so much as a single elephant. Robson said that he was as much disappointed as the rest, but one day he had his wish and something over, as the saying is. There had been a great hunt among the Matabilis to the north, and a large herd had been driven some way south of the Limpopo one evening the scouts came hurrying in with information that the whole forest a few miles to the north of them was full of elephants they were resting for the night the blackies said but in the morning they would be pretty sure to make for a piece of water which lay about a mile to the south of us they would pass through the very glade where we now were in which there were some very large trees if we climbed up into these we should get some capital shots as they passed but not a moment was to be lost in placing the wagons and oxen in some secure spot the elephants would pass down the middle of the glade trampling everything to powder that came in their way the oxen were inspanned accordingly there being just daylight enough for the purpose fortunately one of the party had seen some high steep cliffs about a mile off which the elephants could not get down to if they tried thither the wagons and oxen were conveyed and there placed in a shady nook immediately under the precipice leaving some of the men in charge of them the rest returned to the glade and after taking their supper climbed up into the largest trees they could find taking care to be fully eighteen or twenty feet from the ground robson made himself as comfortable as he could but he could not sleep the air was full of insects of one kind or another and their bite was very annoying besides this he kept continually fancying that he heard noises of one kind or another in the distance now it was a low rumbling which he presently discovered to be the wind now a shrill cry for help which after intense listening he recognized to be the call of some bird repeatedly too he imagined he was falling out of the tree in a fork of which he had fixed himself at last he resolved to descend and lie down to rest on a heap of long grass which lay near the foot of the tree he was convinced that his slumbers would be but light anyhow the crash of the advancing herd would be enough he argued to wake the dead two minutes would be enough to enable him to regain his station on the branch he descended accordingly and having made a careful examination of the grass to make sure that there were no snakes in it he lay down with his rifle in his hand and almost instantly dropped asleep he did not know how long he slept but it was probably several hours for it was broad day when he awoke the crash and din he had anticipated were fully realized. Babel itself seemed to have broken loose, but it was not the herd of elephants that created it. They were no doubt in motion. He could see indeed from the excited gestures of his companions in the great Noana above him that the leaders were already in sight, but it was a crowd of frightened animals of all descriptions that had awakened him. They had been driven from their lairs by the approach of the monsters and were flying in confusion from them there were herds of buffaloes crowded so close together that it was with difficulty they could advance whole legions of box of every variety a few jackals hyenas wild pigs even here and there a lion or a rhinoceros hurrying through the forest paths in terror of being trampled under the feet of the elephants which would have crushed them into atoms scarcely aware of their presence among the runaways were crowds of monkeys which did not join the crowd below but sprang from branch to branch along the lower parts of the trees immediately over his head making it impossible for him to climb to his former perch he would have been knocked off gun and all before he had mounted a dozen feet it was evident to robson that he must find some other place of refuge and that without loss of time for even he could now see about a hundred yards off the heads of the great bull elephants which always marched in advance of the others tearing and forcing their way through the dense forest as a man would through a field of standing corn in a few minutes more they would be close upon him and the crowd of animals still prevented him from escaping the only chance that presented itself to him was creeping into the hollow of a huge no close to which he was standing the roots of this were above the ground and there was a huge cleft in them which was at all events large enough to hide him from sight he forced his way through the opening in the bark accordingly though with great difficulty and found the hole inside larger than he had expected though he could not distinguish how far it extended for the climbing plants outside almost covered the entrance But he had not been in his hiding place five minutes before the leading elephants came up on strode the giants some of them appearing to robson to be fully fourteen feet high the large trees giving way before them and the very ground trembling under their feet just as the leaders came in front of the hole in which he was lying a shot from above struck one of the largest behind the ear and passed into his brain it was instantly fatal with a loud roar the huge beast fell dead and his head blocked up the lower part of the opening through which Robson had entered. It was impossible for him now to make his way out, but then on the other hand he was now safe from intrusion, so at least he fancied. He resolved to wait until the herd had passed and then to shout to his companions for help. The tremendous noise for the present prevented the possibility of being heard if he had shouted ever so loudly. There was nothing for it but to remain quiet by and by light became better or rather i should say robson's eyes became used to the darkness and he perceived that he was not the only occupant of the cave there was something indistinct and shapeless in the farthest corner a slight quivering motion showing that it was alive it was probably some wild animal which in its terror had taken refuge in the hollow of the tree as he had done it might be something quite harmless a stray goat perhaps from a herd there were plenty kept in the neighbourhood and underground caves and hollow trees were favourite places of retreat for them it was as well however for him to be on his guard He took up his rifle and brought it to his shoulder. As he did so, there came a rustling sound from the dark corner, and two fiery eyes were visible against the light. Instinctively, rather than with any settled purpose, he drew the trigger and there was a loud hissing sound. The light from the eyes disappeared. A writhing motion which lasted for several minutes followed, and then the dark mass, whatever it was, lay motionless. Robson told me that a sickening sensation came over him and he supposed that he must have fainted when he came to some time afterwards he was in the hands of his friends they had been engaged in cutting out the tusks of the great bull elephant and had heard a shot fired inside the tree in great surprise they searched the hollow and dragged robson out to all appearance more dead than alive and did they pull out his companion too inquired reggie eagerly yes sir they pulled it out and it was the first thing he saw lying on the ground near him when he came to his senses and it didn't improve his spirits what was it exclaimed several of the party together a cobra seven feet long sir answered hardy it had crept in there out of the noise i suppose and had been as much frightened as the other creatures were that was no doubt the reason why it did not fly at robson the first moment he entered when he levelled his gun the creature's instinct probably warned it of its danger and it had spread its hood and raised itself for a spring then the bullet struck it between the eyes and killed it on the spot if the shot had gone anywhere else robson would never have told me the story "'That was enough to shake a fellow's nerves, certainly,' said George. "'Yes, sir, Robson could never endure the sight of even harmless snakes, "'and used to shake all over when he saw one, like a man with an egg. "'I used to joke him about it, "'and I think he told me his adventure to prevent me from doing so any more. "'Well, I suppose it is time we go and lie down, isn't it? "'We are to set off, I believe, as early or rather earlier than usual tomorrow.' are you going to Standerton the first thing in the morning inquired mr prescott and does the dutch gentleman intend to accept my escort he didn't say positively i have no doubt he will replied george with some hesitation and you must accept he added more confidently our thanks for your kind and hospitable reception of us mr van der heyden is as you have noticed a Boer, and like some of his countrymen does not love the english mr prescott smiled we english settlers here he said understand all about that this annexation of the transvaal though they were glad enough of it at the time when their country was in the greatest danger of invasion to which they could have offered no resistance is not at all to their mind now i hear they are trying to induce the new governor to get it rescinded and if they are rebuffed as probably they will be they will get more and more discontented. But it has occurred to me, since speaking to Mr. van der Hayden, that there is an opportunity for him to travel in safety as far as Heidelberg at all events. There are a number of wagons containing government stores on their way to town, which are resting for the night a few miles from this. I have no doubt that he might obtain leave to travel in their company. There is a military escort, which of course would make the journey quite secure. I have some acquaintance with Lieutenant Evarts, and would give mr van der Heiden an introduction to him if he would condescend to make the acquaintance of a british officer lieutenant Evitts, repeated rivers what of the mounted volunteers do you mean who was present at the attack at rorke's yes the same only he now holds a commission in the natal mounted police there is no need of any introduction to him said george not for me at all events We knew one another for some weeks before the advance into Zululand, and even if we had no previous introduction, that night Rourke's Drift would have been an introduction enough. "'Were you there, Mr. Rivers?' asked Prescott eagerly, and do I understand that you and Mr. van der Hayden was there too? "'Yes, he and I and Everts were all three there and saved each other's lives at least half a dozen times during those nine or ten hours of fighting.' "'I am glad to have had you under my roof, Mr. Rivers, "'and I must forgive Mr. van der Hayden "'his dislike to the English. "'No, sir, no introduction to Lieutenant Evarts "'can be required. "'I should as soon think of introducing "'one twin brother to another.' "'I say, Hardy,' said George, "'as they went off to bed. "'That was a pretty good one about the cobra "'in the hollow tree, wasn't it?' "'I wasn't going to be beaten by him,' answered Hardy, "'though his wasn't a bad one about the line, "'I must admit that.' End of chapter 17